I am, um, I've really, as long as I can remember, I've really been into music. One of my earliest memories, first memories I can think of, um, was a memory of myself and my brother and my dad um, listening to, uh, most of you are not going to know who this is, but if you do, let me know, uh, a guy named Carmen, who is a Christian. I know Frank does. Some of you, okay, some of you know. Okay, um, okay, some, a couple people. Some of you are like, who in the world is that? Don't go, don't go look it up, okay? You, you won't enjoy it. But um, one of my first memories is listening to Carmen, um, and my dad would put the song on, and we'd march around our townhouse. First memory I have. Um, so ever since I was a kid, I've thought about music. I've been really interested in the music. From my earliest cassettes that I had, some of you are like, what in the world are cassettes? These, these little tapes that um, you could not really fast forward much. So my like DC talk cassettes, because I was in a Christian home, those kind of things. And then eventually I, I moved on to CDs, and I had booklets of CDs. I mean, like I had three different booklets. I had one booklet that was just my Christian music. I had one booklet that was my secular music. Um, and then I had one that was in between, and I would leave it in my car. And back then, for those of you that are a lot younger, um, my kids don't understand this. I've actually had to explain it to them. But uh, I, you would have to put a CD in and, like, listen to it in order. You could, like, make – unless you burn a CD. And I remember – man, I remember when I was in high school, I had a friend who knew how to burn CDs, which means you, you steal it is what it really means. And he would, he would charge me $10, and I'd pay him $10 for him to burn a CD that I could buy at a store for $10. I don't know why I did that. And now to today, I, I have my streaming playlist and my vinyl collection. Music has always had a way of, of connecting with me. And I've learned that all of us, no matter what music you like or don't like, all of us are connected with music. It, saying I like music is like saying I like food. Like, yeah, everyone likes music. Everyone has certain bands or certain songs that really stick out to you that, that uh, you really like. And I've really started to understand this more than I ever have before recently. Because uh, a couple months ago, uh, a celebrity that I had never met before passed away, and it literally, like, I was, it was heartbreaking for me. And that celebrity was uh, the drummer Taylor Hawkins, who's the drummer of Foo Fighters, because I still am a big Foo Fighters fan. When I was a kid, um, I, I played drums for a long time. Um, as a kid, there was two bands I listened to to learn how to play drums. It was Blink-182 and Foo Fighters. So when he passed away, I was like, oh, that was the guy who taught me how to play drums, even though he didn't even know it. I never met Taylor Hawkins. I have met Dave Grohl. Um, we're best friends, basically. Um, I've met Dave Grohl, but I've never met him and uh, Taylor Hawkins. And though I was a stranger to him, he didn't feel like a stranger to me. And if you ever, ever had a celebrity pass away that you really looked up to, you feel that way. It's like, yeah, he, they didn't know I was, but I feel connected to that person. And here's what I've learned about, as I was thinking about this a little more, um, why you kind of mourn or feel sad about someone you've never met, which almost feels weird to do that. Here's, here's what I've learned. When someone that you know passed away, especially a musician that you feel connected to, it gets really hard. And here's why I think it's even harder for a musician when they pass away. Music connects to your soul. So when you feel happy, you might want to play a certain song or listen to certain music. When you feel sad, you hear a certain music you'll listen to, to to make you feel a little better. When you feel helpless, there's songs you'll listen to that connects with your soul. So when a musician passes away that you look up to, where do you go with that morning? Because the musician is passed away, and if you go to that, it's going to actually make you feel even worse. Music has a weird way of connecting with us. It's, why I'm so in, it's so interesting to me that God has designed all of us to crave music, because none of us needs it. It's not like food where we need to eat, but all of us crave music in some way, some more than others, and we all connect with it. 
That's why almost every church to ever exist in history had an aspect of music in it. From the Old Testament, listening to or singing some of the Psalms, to now, music has always had a way to connect to our souls in a way that sometimes words fail to do. That is why um, sometimes you'll sit here and a song will play and you'll feel something. Maybe you'll get a little emotional. Maybe you'll get goosebumps. Maybe it's like this, I feel connected to this song. And it's because God designed us to have a, a connection with music that words sometimes fail to do. But sometimes we sing a song and we sing it because we're in church and we know we should. Um, and so we sing it, but we don't actually know what the song is even about. They say some words, and we're like, I don't know what this even means or the connection to it, but I'm going to sing it anyways. So we don't truly understand the message behind it. So in this series, next four weeks, we're going to highlight one song each week. We're going to explain to you what that song means, the meanings behind it, the, the, the scripture behind it. Um, what, so that way, when you hear that song, you can worship God even more through it. And today, we're going to look at a song we just played, Another in the Fire by Hillsong United. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Daniel chapter 3 where we'll be all day today. Daniel chapter 3. Yeah, I'll give you a little bit of background in Daniel chapter 3 here. Daniel chapter 3 picks up in Babylon with King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, we need to know about Babylon is Babylon was not just a godless society. It was one of the most godless societies there ever existed. If you look at history, it's one of the most. They would practice things like, like uh, child sacrifice, a lot of different pagan practices that were really rough and terrible to talk about. That's what they would, they would practice. And in Babylon, one thing that they would do is they would destroy a city or conquer a community. Then they would take the kids as slaves and raise them in Babylon. And here, there's three Hebrew kids that were taken and eventually raised in Babylon. They go by the name of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three boys grew up in Babylon, and eventually they rise to power and a lot of influence in Babylon but even though they rise in this godless city, they still stay true to their belief of the one true God, the God of the Israelites. King Nebuchadnezzar, he builds this huge statue. It's a 90-foot statue. Um, and he says, hey, listen, when, when the music plays, you're going to hear some music, when that, everyone needs to bow down and worship this statue. Everyone needs to do that at all times when that happens. So at some point, the music goes off, and everybody bows except for three people, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They don't bow down. And these local um, astrologers, who are little tattletales, if you ask me, they see this, and they go to the king. And that's what we're going to pick up in Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 10. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. Here's what they're basically saying. Hey, king, those three guys that rose to power that kind of have, have a lot of influence, those three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know those three guys. Um, well, you know the rule you made that when song plays, everyone's supposed to bow down. Well, they're not doing it. Like, the mu music plays, and they just stand there. So what, what, what are you going to do about it? They just ignore it. So King Nebuchadnezzar hears this, and he's furious. He's so mad. So he calls Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he goes, hey, listen, guys, what's up with you guys? Like, the rule is, music plays, you bow. I get it. You serve your God. I get it. You can, you can worship that God, but you still have to bow down. And if you don't bow down, that God you worship is not going to save you for what I'm going to do to you. 
if you don't bow down, I am going to throw you into the furnace. And their reply is amazing to me. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. There's two things here that, that is amazing to me, and two things that sometimes, at least for me, I have trouble actually believing. Two things that he talks about. They say two things in their reply. The first thing is, God can save you. They say, God can save us. He can do it. We serve a God who can save us. From whatever trouble we're going through, whatever pain we're going through, he can save us. You know what that means? It means that, he, that means that he hears you when you cry out, that he can reach out to you when you need help. He's there for you when you need him. We serve a God who has the power to save us. Whatever trouble, whatever, whatever pain we're going through, that he can save us from it. Do you believe that? Because if I'm being honest, I understand theologically that he can. He's God, I get it. Theologically, I understand it. But, but realistically, sometimes I don't know if I believe that, that he can. Because he, here's what I do. Sometimes I'll pray for something, whether it's healing or, or God to someone or, or to do something in my life. And I pray, but I won't pray too hard. Because I'm worried that if I pray too hard and believe it too much, I'll be disappointed. So in my head, I'm like, I'm just going to pray for it, but I want to protect God's reputation on this. So I'll just pray just a little bit about it. Uh, sometimes I don't want to pray too hard because I think, what if nothing happens? Nothing changes. So to protect God, I'll go, well, God, I get that, that you can do it, and your will be done. And I don't really think anything's going to change, so I'm not going to fully pray because I don't want to be disappointed in this situation. Because I know God, in theory, can do it. But sometimes I don't know God can do it. Does that make sense? Sometimes I struggle with that. And at times I think God wants to tell me and tell some of us this. You think you're in charge of my reputation? You think you need to protect my reputation? I'm the one who when my mouth opened, I, the stars were formed. I'm the one who knows all the hair, the hairs on your head. Some of you it's a lot, some of you not so much. I know it. That's who I am. You, you do not need to protect my reputation. Whatever situation comes, I can do it. I can save you through it. I can be there for you. God can save you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, no, if you want to throw me in the fire, God can rescue us from it. But they don't stop there. They don't say just God can. They also say God will save us. Number two, God will save you. It's one thing to know that he can, but it's another thing to declare, not only can he do it, but I know he's going to do it. Not only can he save me from this, I know he's going to do it as well. God isn't only able to save you, he's also willing to to save you, and he will save you according to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And this is really the gospel message, that God saw our biggest need, that we were separated from him because of our sin. So he said, I can save you, and I will save you by sending my son to live a human experience, to understand exactly what you're going through, the temptations that we all go through, the pain that we all go through through life, and he's going to save you by dying on the cross for your sins. I can save you, and I will save you. So when you go through pain in life, do you pray like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? God can heal me, and he will heal me. God can save my marriage, and he will save my marriage. God can reach my kids, and he will reach my kids. God can change me, and he will change me. The Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, listen, king, threaten us all you want. But we serve a God who can and will save us. And then they say something 
verse 18. That's probably my favorite verse in the Bible. They say, God can and he will. Then they say this. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Listen, we believe God can. He has the power to do it. We believe God will save us. We believe that. We, we trust in him. We have faith in him. We aren't afraid of it. Even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, and we are thrown into the fire and burned up in the fire, it doesn't change our belief. It doesn't change who God is. It doesn't change our trust in him. It doesn't change who the one and only true God is that deserves our worship. He can save us. He will save us. But even if he doesn't, we're not bowing down. We're not doing it. I call this an even if faith. It is a faith that isn't built on what you receive. It's a faith that's built solely on him. I understand this even if faith because um, I'm a sports guy and I'm an Oriole fan. Let me explain my even if faith for the Orioles. I believe the Orioles hate me. I truly believe it. I don't think they want me to be a fan. I think they do everything they can to make sure I'm not a fan. Like every network does streaming because, you know, we're in 2022. Not the Orioles. They refuse to do that because they hate me. They don't want to put a good product out ever. They hate me. I truly believe it. Our ownership has been terrible for a while. We had two good years at one point, and then we had a really good player. That, Why sign him? Let's just get rid of him and all the rest of them. So anyways, I'm not going to venture. At this point, I've gotten to a point where it's like, the Orioles better get, be good soon, or I don't know if I'm going to keep following them anymore. And it was not true. Even if they are terrible forever, I will always be an Orioles fan. And it, will, it might take me to the grave earlier than it should because of it, and it might cause a lot of pain, but that's who I am. Even if. God, we are called to have an even if faith. God can and he will, but even if he doesn't. Even if. See, he doesn't just deserve our worship when he does. He deserves our worship because he is. So we need to praise God not for what he does, but for who he is. That's what we're called to do. We don't praise God for a blessing. We praise God from a blessing. We don't praise God for a reward. We praise God from a reward. That's how we're called to pray. Is that your prayer? Is that your faith that even if he doesn't do the thing I'm asking, I still believe in him? Because this is what a lot of our prayers sound like. Most of our prayers sound like this. God, I'm not sure if you can, and I'm not sure if you will, but if you don't, then I'm not following you anymore. That's some of our prayers. God, I don't know if you can. I don't think you will. And if you don't, then I'm out. Do you praise God for what he does or because of who he is? Do you believe God deserves our worship simply because he is God, or do you only worship him so you can get what you want out of him? In the song, Another the Fire, it says this. It says, when I look at the space between where I used to be, and this reckoning, as in where I was and where I currently am. The space between here's where I was at one point, here's where I want to be, and there's this tension, this gap, this, this unresolved issue here. When I'm in that space, what do we do? And the song, it progresses. Each verse, it progresses what you do in that space. First, when I see that space, it says, I know I will never be alone. It's saying, I'm in this, I'm in this space, I'm in this tension, and I know I'm not alone in this tension. I know that someone's here with me. And the second verse, it says, if I fall in that space, as in that prayer you've been asking for doesn't happen. You, God doesn't respond the way you want him to. You're stuck in that storm, in that fire, in that, in that tension. 
If I fall in that space, either way, I won't bow to the things of this world. That's that even if faith. Then the third verse, it says, come what may. Whatever is going to come is going to come. Whatever tension is there, hey, it's going to happen. Come whatever happens, come what may, it doesn't matter because I know I will never be alone. That's the faith we all want, right? That, hey, whatever tension and storm comes in life, I'm okay because I know I believe in God. I know he's there for me. We can't get there until we go through one and two. We can't get there until we first proclaim that we are not alone, and we can't get there until we go through a storm realizing that even if we fall in that space, we know, even if, God is with us. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they pray, listen, King, King Nebuchadnezzar, God can and he will save us. Even if he doesn't, we aren't bowing to you. We aren't bowing to this world. We aren't bowing to your idol. We are not bowing to anyone. To start heating up that furnace because we will not bow. We will not deny the God that we serve no matter what our circumstances say. King Nebuchadnezzar is furious. He says, you know what? Heat that furnace up seven times hotter. We're going to make sure they burn to a crisp. They take Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They bind them up, and they throw both of them into the furnace. And God didn't stop it. They went into the fire. God did not stop that from happening. But we don't serve a God who sits passively by while we go through our pains and struggles. Here's the type of God that we serve. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, your majesty. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in that fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. I see four. We don't serve a God who keeps you out of the fire. We serve a God who enters the fire with you. And you understand that. That's a big distinction. You see, the enemy thought when they took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace that it was over. But really, it was over for him. The enemy thought that when Jesus went on that cross that he defeated Jesus, but really, it defeated him. The enemy thought when he was put into the grave, that would be the end, but really, it was the end of him. That's the God that we serve. Um, I, I grew up in a Christian home, and around high school, college age, when I really started to think about my faith for myself, because I had a faith growing up, and I was like, should, I should really think about this myself. So I remember I started to think about different religions, different faiths, and starting to figure out what I truly believed. And one thing I've learned over the years is that you can really divide almost all religions into four categories. Here's the four categories. There's atheism, the belief that there is no God. There's pantheism, as in everything is a God. That's New Age or, or Buddhist. Um, there's polytheism, as in there's many gods, Hinduism, Taoism. Then there's monotheism, one god. And in monotheism, there's really three major beliefs in monotheism, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. And out of all those religions, every religion is trying to figure out in some different way, some different capacity of how to get to the top of this mountain, how to get to the top of the mountain, whether it's the top being enlightenment or, or heaven or satisfaction or whatever it is. How do we find a way to get to God at the top? How do we do it? Every religion works that way. And out of the three monotheistic beliefs, because really I got to a point where I believe there's either two options. It's either there's one God or there's no God. That was the only option. I was like, 
There's no way that everything's God, because that means I'm God, and I'm not God. Trust me, I know that. And then there's also the, there's many gods, like I don't believe that either. There's either one God or none. That's why it got to the point. So out of the three, I believe there's a God. So out of the three monotheistic beliefs, Islam, Judaism, Christianity, there's only one thing that truly differentiates Christianity from the rest. Here's what it is. Well, every religion is trying to figure out how to get to the top of the mountain. Christianity says the God at the top came down to us at the bottom and said, hey, I'm going to take you that way. That you're not going to do the work. I'm going to do it for you. That that God came to our level. He left his throne at the top to rescue us. Here's what that means for you and me. And here's what the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego story tells us. Even if God doesn't rescue you, he remains with you. So we hear lyrics like, there is another in the fire standing next to me. That means that when we go through that storm, you're not alone. There is another that enters the fire with you. We see lyrics like there was another in the waters holding back the sea. That's referring to the Israelites getting to the sea and feeling like there's nothing else they could do. They're at the Red Sea and the Egyptians are chasing them. And then God sees so they can get through. When the lyric says, I can feel the ground shake beneath us as the prison walls cave in. This is from Acts 16. Paul and Silas are arrested, and they are singing these songs in prison, not because of where they are, but because of who they are worshiping. And suddenly the ground begins to shake, and the prison doors fly open. Do you have a faith in God that has nothing to do with him answering your prayers, and has everything to do with who he is? That has nothing to do with his blessings on you, and everything to do with who he is? Because I'm telling you, if you have a faith that's only built on answered prayers, only built on blessings, and only built on God providing for you, that faith will not last when the storms of life come, when the fire comes. But instead, is your faith built on the fact that there is a God who proved he loved you by sending his son for you? So no matter what comes in life, no matter what storms you go through in life, no matter how hard life gets, you still believe that there is a God, and you still believe he is good. Because your view of God does not change because of your current circumstances. Is that the faith that we have? See, I've learned in life that not only will you have trouble in this life because we live in a broken world, not only will you have trouble in this life because we are very broken and we make this world even more broken, but there will be times where you will have trouble in life simply because of who you claim to follow. I mean, look at the disciples as an example. Every disciple did not die peacefully in their bed next to their spouse. Every disciple died horrific deaths because they would not stop talking about Jesus. We are never promised to have a safe world. Here's how Jesus said it, actually. John chapter 15 says, If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. Servant is not greater than his master they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. You will go through trouble and storms in this life simply because of who you believe. Now, let me say something. This isn't an excuse for you to be a jerk about your opinions. This is what we do. We think, well, I'm going to be persecuted, so I'm going to be a jerk on Facebook about my political opinions, and if someone, hey, someone gets mad at me, hey, I'm going to be persecuted in life. No, no, no. Jesus, the people that got mad at Jesus the most were the religious people, and the ones that were completely different from him loved him. So if that's our, our claim, then you better be careful of what you're actually being persecuted about. But Jesus says, hey, in this world, you will have trouble. John 15. We can preserve when we have a faith 
not built on convenience, not on comfort, not on blessings, a faith that is built on grace. Grace doesn't save you from the fire, it walks with you in it. Even if God doesn't rescue you, he remains with you. And that's what another in the fire is about. So as I was preparing for this sermon, um, I looked up the backstory of this song. I looked up the author and what they talked about. And, and the, the main singer who wrote this song was a guy named Will from Hillsong United. And he wrote this course and kind of had a little bit of it. And um, he said that he actually almost walked away from the song. At the time, his son had just gotten an um, a autism diagnosis. And his son was completely nonverbal. And what the singer said is that um, he didn't want to sing a song that he wasn't sure he believed in anymore. So he didn't do it. And as I was watching this interview from him and listening to this song all week, listening to this song all week, it made me think of um, my daughter. And um, I talked about this in our family service. That's our service for people that are serving. Um, and I basically cried the whole time, so I'm going to try not to as much this time. Um, but... And, and with my daughter, my daughter is eight. I know I, I'm not really going to talk much about this after this because she's getting to an age where I don't want to publicly say stuff about her while I preach. Um, but I talked to my wife about, about talking about this, so I figured I would. And if you're a parent, you will understand this for sure. But my daughter, Brooklyn, She has really bad anxiety and worry from an early age. As long as we can remember, uh, we used to think she was, uh, we used to think she was lactose intolerant because her stomach would always hurt. Um, so we stopped doing milk and ice cream and everything fun that she liked to have. We took that away from her. And um, she, we realized that her stomach hurt because she was so anxious about what was coming, about, um, about school the next day and she loves school or about um, just whatever was happening. And so my wife and I try to figure out what to do and we learned that we don't know what we're doing. And what's hard, and you know this as a parent, if you're a parent in the room, um, what's hard is uh, you do what you think is best and sometimes what you think is best is actually worse and it's actually making it worse. So we just did what we thought we, we could, and, and we learned with her really quick that she's always worried about what's coming. She's always anxious about stuff. And um, there was one day where um, where uh, she was yelling with her sister, and um, we've learned that if we raise her voice too much with her, then, then she gets really upset, and sometimes we still do because we have to. But um, she was talking with her, she was arguing with her sister, and we very calmly just said, hey, and you can't do that. You can't talk to your sister that way as calmly as possible. And she got really upset. She started yelling. She ran to her room and slammed the door. So we're like, all right, we'll give her a little bit of time, which we do that. And I went up to the door, and I could hear her talking to herself in the room. She was saying stuff like, why are you so bad to herself? Why can't you stop? And as a dad and your daughter say these lies to herself 
It's, it's hard. And while I was, while I heard this story from the Singer of Hill song, when I was thinking about this song this week, when they kept going through my mind is, we've been praying for Brooklyn and all of our kids, but we've really been praying for Brooklyn with her worry and her anxiety. And the thought that went in my head was, what if nothing ever really changes? That no matter what we do, she has this struggle with worry that's going to make her life a little harder. What, what if that keeps happening? What if that doesn't change? Will I still worship even if she doesn't get better? And if you have any kids that go through any struggle, you understand this. And um, lead singer of, of Hillsong said this, that really stuck out to me. It's going to read it to you. As he was thinking about this song, he said, this is what songs do. They remind us. At times, I'm not sure I believe this. I believe this for the future. I believe it because of the past. But right now, I think I believe it, and I want to believe it. But when you say it and you confess it, you remind your soul. Confession precedes belief, and that's powerful. This song is about a, a lack of resolution. It's about the in-between. It's about a lack of resolution and the in-between, how it does not change the truth. It doesn't change the truth that God can and will save you. It doesn't change the truth that he is with you in the midst of whatever you're going through. And here's what's amazing. When you make that stand, when you declare, I know he can and I know he will, but even if he doesn't, I'm not bowing. I'm going to keep praising because I don't praise God for what he does. I praise God for who he is. He is the God that even when he doesn't rescue me from whatever I'm going through, he's with me through it no matter what I'm going through. When that is your faith and that is your declaration, even at times when you have trouble and even at times when you have trouble believing it, when you declare it anyways, then when the battle comes, you can have joy. So now the, the, what the enemy tried to defeat you with can actually be the thing that brings you closer to God, which is why I love the last line of this song. It says, I'll count the joy come every battle because I know that's where you'll be. Every battle and every fire you go through is another opportunity for you to feel his presence. So I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up. And we're gonna play this song again. And whatever fire you may be going through, whatever trouble you may be going through, whatever thought come into your head as, as we talked about this, when we sing these songs, you might not really believe it. You might be in that tension, in that in-between, in that lack of resolution. And you want to believe he can, you want to believe he will, and you want to have even if faith. So I want to give you this opportunity as we sing this song one more time. Whatever that is, this is your chance to say, you know what? I'm taking a stand. I'm declaring it now that I believe God can. I believe God will. But even if he doesn't, I know I can feel his presence because that is who he is. The God who walks with us in the fire. Let's sing this song together. Let's stand.